Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back to the FBF Podcast. This is our show in the game. I'm your host, Matt Chatham, coming at you live from Houston. And I'll say this up front off the top. Audio might sound a little different for you. Uh, We're going to do our best with this, but this has been sort of a remote situation for myself and the two Bradys. I'm down here in Houston doing this remotely, bouncing around from the convention center to our hotel and on again. So we're not in studio like you typically hear us. Brady Papenga, on the other hand, has been down here in Houston all week from the Fox, uh, Fox Radio Row area. Uh, doing great work all throughout the week, and he was nice enough to pop in and do a segment here remotely himself. Uh, Brady Quinn has been knocking out National Signing Day stuff for some of the top college kids or high school kids in the country uh, going into college. So he's not physically down here with us, but uh, popped in with a segment of his own. But we thought it was really important, even though the three of us are working professionally in different avenues throughout this week, uh, that we still got a pregame show out to you with our hardcore feelings on sort of fluff-free a lot of the off-field storylines sort of held out of the way and what we really thought this game would boil down to. So if you were going to listen to one pregame show that could sort of whittle down to what really matters, we wanted to give you that sort of three-way insight we've been doing throughout the year. So uh, we're, as I mentioned on the front end, we're gonna, I'm going to sort of drop in the information from each of these guys, pause and let you sort of get uh, Brady Quinn and Brady Papenga's insight on what they think is going to matter most. On the front end, and then I'll, and then I'll tee it at the excuse me, and then I'll give you mine at the end. Uh, But what I want to do here first is because this is a player-focused show, this is a show where, you know, all three of us have extensive experience in the NFL. I was fortunate to play in three of these Super Bowl games. We're back here in Houston, the site of where, you know, we had one of our biggest wins against the Carolina Panthers 12 years ago. So it's great to be back here. And, and Brady Papinga had the has the Super Bowl ring himself. Uh, unfortunately, Brady got hurt. We talked about this on a on a on a show last year leading up to the Super Bowl, where Brady Papinga uh, was injured for the Packers, but still able to come down and play throughout the year, but got injured late and was able to sort of sort of player coach it, kind of you know being a mentor on the sidelines, talking through schemes and sideline changes, and still being a part of the Super Bowl week, so still being very experienced on what goes on and goes into this week and what happens on game day. And, and Brady Quinn, we love having him because he gives great insight on you know this sort of quarterback matchup here and the, the view from the quarterback's eyes and all the things that a couple knuckleheads like Brady Papenga and I are never going to see. So we really wanted to dive into sort of, before we go into the game, dive into sort of the pregame prep stuff. So you're here in this show. We're down to within about 24 hours of kickoff. Uh, just wanted to sort of touch base on what's going on now. You know, fans don't get to see behind that red curtain. And what we're doing in these moments as players is sort of winding things down. Now, I saw this on both sides. Uh, the first Super Bowl that I played in was in 2001. That's 15 years ago, uh, the big game in New Orleans where we faced uh, the St. Louis Rams. Uh, the greatest show on turf and all of that. Uh, a really momentous victory for our organization, something that really helped set off this this streak of success that they, they've been on for so long now. Uh, but the unique element to that particular game was that you'll recall with 9-11 uh, being during that same year where the NFL froze games for a week 
the entire schedule was off by one week. So the Super Bowl for us that particular week was, you know, you play in the AFC Championship, we beat the Pittsburgh Steelers and Pittsburgh, and the next day we're flying to New Orleans, which is insane. You know, you fly back late at night, you got to pack everything up, uh, all the management of ticket requests and operations that teams have to set up, that was all done as if it were a regular week schedule. Insane, really, looking back in retrospect. And then the idea that we got to do it two more times and do it on a normal schedule, the same tempo that the, both the, the Falcons and Patriots are doing this week, and understanding how much better that is, how much more of a breath you can take, and how much less pressure you feel getting into Sunday. Uh, I think this week is really one of those weeks where you're, you're, you're really able to notice the two weeks that they got because there's a real sort of slow pattern that goes to the week leading up where you stay at your home venue, do your work. The Patriots actually came here a week late, or excuse me, a day late. Uh, the Falcons were down here a day earlier. So you really get a lot of your installation in at your home site. You get down here, you fine-tune, and it really builds towards this Sunday. So now at this point, when you're here in the podcast, uh, we're both of these teams have practiced every potential angle on field. They're going to still do some walkthroughs in their hotel rooms, uh, in a hotel ballroom kind of situation, still go through some checks and some, some additional adjustments that may come and just make sure their guys are absolutely tuned in. So you've seen uh, tons of film. And I think that's actually the one thing that when you get into this Saturday night, uh, the night before this, the biggest game of your life, uh, what's really unique is you've sort of lived in this, I don't know, it's like a dormitory of all football players because you're, you've lived in this hotel all week and they have entire floors of the hotel set up with film. You can come, you can come down and watch cutups, watch specific things, first down run pack, you know, packages, drive starter packages, or you can sort and find all of the third down passes at a certain down and distance. Or as a special teams player, you can watch all kick returns uh, of a certain type. You know, uh, you can whittle these things down to what's really, really relevant for you. So at this hour, in this 24 hour sort of timeline area between now and kickoff, a lot of the players are getting that extra little maybe yoga stretch kind of thing, maybe a final massage, making sure their bodies are tuned up and mentally looking at those last pieces of information that specifically interests the player. The coaches want to test you a little bit and make sure that there cannot, there has not been a stone unturned. There will be no surprises on game day. And this is actually something that Coach Belichick used to speak to us quite a bit. Uh, there should not be any apprehension in a Super Bowl about getting some magical secret play uh, from the team. They played 16 regular season games, a handful of playoff games now. There are no new plays, right? <laughs> there are no uh, triple reverse, you know, underhand pass to the tackle eligible it's just it's most likely not going to happen both teams know what both teams do and this is a unique week and where really both of these offenses the Falcons and Patriots offenses are incredibly diverse so both teams have huge volume amounts of plays so I think it's really helpful for both defenses because you get the extended look at them but there really should be no surprises in part I mention that because of the Rams still some of the Rams players not all of them but continue to talk years later about this idea that a that a walkthrough practice was taped. Um, a, it's factually incorrect. It never happened. They need to stop that. There's no evidence of it whatsoever. Uh, it was a myth. It never happened. But the second part of that is just what you could actually glean from a walkthrough practice if you saw it at this point. And the answer to that is zero. So you could let the teams attend one another's walkthrough and you're not going to learn anything. It's 
dudes walking around. It's nothing, right? So the point of that is at this juncture, your coaches are just simply wanting you to point to the man that you would have in a particular protection. Or actually, a protection, yeah, a blocking protection or a particular coverage defensively. Just making sure you've walked through, you know, in motion, a motion happens, how the linebacker is going to react to a back motion out of the backfield. How a tight end shifting and reloading is going to affect the coverage stuff on the back end. How safeties are going to account for that. Where the help elements are going to be. Uh, you know, down low, up above, all those kinds of things. That's what walkthroughs are for. Just it's almost like a, a call out session. And and to be honest, if you haven't figured out how they adjust to shifts and motions and plays like that, you know, it's it's late. It's more of just a little quiz that coaches like to do to make sure that we're all on the same page. You're not out there practicing Statue of Liberty plays or something that that has never been seen or some magical kick return that with two reverses and a pass or something in it. This is it's just not that. So at this hour, uh, teams are going out of their way to make sure that every little detail has been covered just to make sure there's not mental errors. That's that's probably a coach's and, and some of the veteran leaders' biggest concern. You know that the guys are going to go ball out. You just don't want a coverage bust. You just don't want a protection bust where you know the the, the defense is running some sort of twist and one lineman thinks he's picking it up one way and another one thinks another. So that's really what these last final hours are about. Just making sure we're all on the same page about every little twist or adjustment that could happen. And when it comes, you usually see that. So I'm obviously of the mind that you you should and often do see less of the straight mental busts in Super Bowls because there should be very few surprises. Uh, it become, it comes down to execution. So we're going to dive in here now. Uh, well, I'll, I'll say this right before we end, and I think this is an interesting story that that was given to uh, that that I got to experience as a player uh, after having you know won a couple Super Bowls with that organization. We were we got three out of four. Uh, we won in 01. We were out of the playoffs in 02. The 03 season, we won down here in Houston against the Carolina Panthers. And then when we came back in 2004, that was the and so now the Super Bowl is actually taking back part in, in February of 2005. That was our Super Bowl against the Eagles down in Jacksonville. So in this idea of what goes on the night before a Super Bowl, what are these players actually doing? So I talked about sort of the walkthrough element potentially in a, you maybe go to the venue or maybe you just do it in the hotel. It's, it's really immaterial. You're not physically moving much. You're just standing and pointing and the quarterbacks are lobbing the balls and just, you know, getting some of the jitters out. Uh, but one of the things that Coach Belichick was notorious for doing in a good way uh, was trying to sort of hit on some emotional note that night before. We're all gathered in the team hotel. He's been showing us film for you know five months, six months straight of, of things that other teams do. And he always loves to sort of find some way to bring it all home, make it make sense, find that sort of emotional note. He's, he's been doing this forever with stories about you know, boxing analogies, uh, horse racing thing. He'd always show secretariat clips. Uh, you know, just some unique outside football element to make it sort of come full circle. Uh, that last Super Bowl of ours in our little three or four window, um, coach goes to the front of the room and does what he generally does: grabs the clicker. We start to head through the clip deck of things that he wants to highlight for last things we want to th- think or talk about before you know before you head to play this game. And, and Coach Belichick, and the, so the projector uh, that sort of shoots the, the digital image there up onto the big screen is where it always is in the center of the room. And the room is divided, offense on one side, defense on the other side. Uh, and that table that has the projector is covered with a big white tablecloth, right? And Coach kind of clicks out 
pauses on the on the thing and stops a little bit abruptly. Uh, and you know, it was a little unusual. Like, what's what's going on here? You know, this is usually when we finish a bunch of stuff, and he just sort of stops and and goes over to the table. They kill the lights, and it just gets quiet and kind of weird in the room. And Coach Belichick reaches underneath the table, or someone reaches underneath the table for him, and grabs those two Lombardi trophies and walks him to the front of the room. And I don't know if you're feeling it through this audio, but I still get goosebumps and the hair sort of standing up on the back of my neck kind of thing. And I think the room was filled with that at that moment where we can sit here and talk about how important it is, how great it would be to get a ring, you know, going out there and winning a game. And when you actually have the good fortune to be in an organization that has the goal from past teams that you can physically touch and look at and you can reach out and say that's what I want that room got so eerily quiet I don't recall a situation ever as powerful as that where it was like you know all the guys in the room 50 plus dudes plus the practice squad guys the coaching staff medical everyone who's in there just that sense of that's why we're here you know, all the nonsense of the of the Super Bowl week leading up and the goofy media questions and, you know, days and days of off-field stuff. You've heard stuff about politics this week and relationships of coaches and legacies, and none of that stuff has anything to do with the game. So the idea of sort of pulling it full circle and having a visual aid to show this is why you're here. And a lot of people, some of the people, I mean, there was a uh, there's a group of 20 or so of us in the room that had been a part of those other two, but there's a lot of people in the room that had. And if you're the Patriots, yes, you know that there's two years ago they won a Super Bowl, yes. Uh, but there's a lot of people in the room that have never won one. And a lot of veterans, guys like Chris Long, guys like Martellus Bennett. So to be able to say, hey, guys, you've seen it on TV. You maybe have seen the little display that the NFL has here at the convention center where they put the trophy up. But here's what you're playing for tomorrow night. And there's nothing more special in the world of football than this. The way that sort of reverberated through the room and it puts you to bed with a smile on your face and it, it gives you sort of a greater sense of purpose of why you're doing this. Guys are playing for family members, for sort of the life trip that they had to get them to that moment, all these different things. But when it's tangible, when it's that piece of sterling silver from Tiffany's and you can reach and touch it, smell it, kiss it, whatever you want to do to the to the damn thing it really says okay this is why i need to get a great night's rest this is why if there's any stone left unturned for me as far as going back to my room and checking to make sure that that dude i'm fighting against tomorrow never gets the best of me uh that really worked for me and i think personally it it helped you to have one of my best games really tuning in on who i needed to beat what i needed to do to be able to hold that trophy again as our own uh, and and I thought that was just a really powerful moment, something I'll remember the rest of my life, and a lot of our, our teammates sort of still continue to share that story. So we're going to drop in now, as I'd mentioned, and, and start to get into the analysis of the game itself uh, by Brady Papinga first, and then by Brady Quinn. So Brady Papinga, as I said, I believe he's taping this from Radio Row there at this Fox Studios, uh, doing an awesome job throughout the week. And here is Brady's clip on what he believes to be the most important things as this game is going to boil down. Brady, go ahead. As I've been thinking about the Super Bowl matchup for the last 10 days or so, I have literally gone back and forth almost every single day as to who I think is going to win the game and as to who really is the favorite. We know that with Vegas... 
they're giving points to the Patriots. And I'd imagine it's because of the experience factor and having been in Houston all week and been a part of the festivities, Radio Row, and all the attention that's given to the week, even leading up to the Super Bowl, you can see why experience can be such a valuable attribute going into this game because it is such a spectacle. The week before the Super Bowl, I would submit, is a bigger spectacle than the game itself. And so I can see where the experience factor for the New England Patriots comes into play. As even Tom Brady said on Monday, that, hey, this isn't the Super Bowl. He already has disassociated himself from what is the week leading up to the Super Bowl and the game itself. But on the other side, to Matt Ryan, I've been very impressed with how he's handled the media attention, how he's handled having to deal with the press, to where he's looked poised, he's looked comfortable, looked focused. And I contrast that with Peyton Manning a couple years ago when he played with the Broncos uh, when they faced the Seattle Seahawks up in New York. And all week long, he seemed a little tight. He seemed a little bit like it was this or never. You know, I'm never going to get a chance again. And lo and behold, we get to game time, and he's coming out of the tunnel, and his face was pale white. He looked like he had seen a ghost. And we all know how it all started off with that bad snap, safety, and it ended up being a nightmare for the Denver Broncos. So when you just look at this factor of how each team's handling the week, obviously the Patriots with their experience, they look like they're handling it well. And also the Atlanta Falcons look like they are also doing a nice job of managing the distraction that is the week leading up to the Super Bowl. So when you look at that, it's almost like a push in the sense that maybe experience isn't playing as big of a role, at least in the week leading up as uh, maybe some in Vegas are thinking. But then when you just look at the X's and the O's, I mean, Atlanta has an offense that is unstoppable. I mean, I don't know how you defend it. And I've talked to I don't know how many different people, whether it's Drew Brees, Brian Billick, uh, you know, as to, okay, you're offensive guys. You know, what are things that have been done to you guys on the defensive side of the ball that you feel like would work well against this Atlanta Falcons offense? And each one of them said the very same thing, which is, well, you know what? You can take away one thing, but on that offense, yeah, you can maybe say, hey, we're going to take away Julio Jones, but now we're going to be a man short covering those backs. Or even Mohamed Sanu, he's been a guy that, you know, he's been phenomenal when defenses have overcorrected and focusing so much on Julio Jones to where he's burnt them. And so it's one of those things where the consensus seems like the way you defend them is you got to go through a Rolodex of different kind of blitzes, different kind of coverages, different kind of fronts, different kinds of defenses, and hopefully find one that works and then keep doing that until then the Atlanta Falcons adjust. But I think the fact is the Atlanta Falcons have a very difficult offense to stop, and that's one of those things that keeps bringing me back to the Falcons. Well, heck, that offense is so explosive. But then as we know on the other side of the ball with Tom Brady and their offense, they have what it takes to keep that explosive, potent offense of the Atlanta Falcons on the sideline because they can run the ball, and they can run the ball, and they can throw those uh, short passes to where they can control the clock. And as it looks like right now, that end up, may end up being the best defense for the Patriots is being able to ball control. And, I mean, they, they're notorious for having those seven-minute drives, short passes with Edelman, with Hogan, even getting Michael Bennett in the mix, and then mixing it up with uh, LeGarrette Blount. And then you got Deion White coming out and being sort of your mismatch nightmare, like both Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman are for the Atlanta Falcons. So, you know, to me the key is, is that – Patriot offense is going to have to be a tremendous help to their defense and keeping them off the field, keeping them obviously in ideal situations. And Atlanta Falcons, they're built around speed. Their linebackers are small. They're averaging probably around about 220. Their linemen are a little bit small, especially on the edges. So look for the Patriots to test the edges. You know, Vic Beasley's 240 probably legitimately, although he's probably listed more than that. 
And so looking at them to test them on the edges, pounding them, pounding them. And as we know, with a smaller, more quick, fast defense, you pound them enough with the run and you get some success doing it, it wears them out. So when that you do get in those obvious passing situations, now you got them tired out and they're not as fast, they're not as fresh, they're not as explosive. And then now it's going to come down to me is who's going to make those game-changing, crucial plays when the chips are all in the middle of the table. But, I mean, who you wouldn't want to choose another guy other than Tom Brady. So as I look at this game, it, it, it's going to come, come down to the very end. I look at it being a very competitive game, a very compelling game in terms of strategy, as we know with Bill Belichick and his history, even go all the way back to when he was a defensive coordinator with the Giants playing that wide-open, explosive offense of the Buffalo Bills back in the, I think it was eight, early, or late 80s, early 90s, and he invented this new defense. Nobody saw where they stood up Lawrence Taylor and Carlos Banks as defensive ends to where they could use them in the rush game and also use them in coverage to, to gain some kind of deception and flexibility. And it actually ended up causing the Buffalo Bills problems. They basically said, hey, we're going to let you run the ball. We're just not going to let you pass it. And when you do try to pass it, we're not going to let it go deep. And so that may end up being it may be a full circle in terms of Belichick's defense where he implements that same kind of strategy and approach. So it's going to be a phenomenal game and looking forward to it, but my pick going into it will be the Patriots. A lot of great stuff there from Brady, from the experience factor to how impressed he's been with Matt Ryan. That's something that I can absolutely agree with from what I've seen down here. Uh, just the idea of the experience uh, with this uh, Atlanta offense uh, from from a lot of people around football. We've heard a very similar sort of note chimed throughout sort of the venues here uh, from interviews from players that are playing now, players that used to play, coaches are coaching now, coaches that used to play. The idea of stopping Atlanta's offense isn't what people talk about, and I can relate that to my own experience with the, the Rams' offense. We were never going to stop them. You just need to slow them. You need to slow them to win. Uh, and the idea of Tom Brady being able to potentially make that game-changing play Brady Pinga touched on the, the Patriots running game. That's something I'm going to hit on here on my own thing. But a lot of tremendous insight there from Brady Pinga. And I think he really hit on this idea of going back and forth, something I think a lot of us down here have done. I think that's why, you know, two weeks of this can be dangerous for anyone because both teams are obviously very good. That's why they're here. And it's easy to be swayed one way or the other. But some tremendous insight there by Brady Pinga. And now I'm going to show you a little stuff or let you listen to a little a pop in here by Brady Quinn, former quarterback, who's going to give you a little bit different insight in sort of how he came to his conclusions on how he thinks this game's going to go down here on from Brady Quinn. Super Bowl 51. What a matchup. The Atlanta Falcons with the number one scoring offense going up against the New England Patriots with the number one scoring defense in the NFL this year. I'll get right into it. Here are some things that I'm kind of looking for, really from each team, from each side of the football, and I primarily will focus on offense and defense. So with the Atlanta Falcons, there's this idea that you don't want to stop the passing game. You want to stop Julio Jones and the passing attack with Matt Ryan, who's had an MVP season. Here's the issue. Every defense plays their best football when the offense is predictable. So what they need to do is still focus on stopping the running game. Don't allow Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman to get going. If they stop the running game, it makes those play-action pass fakes and those run-action pass fakes that they utilize in the passing game not as effective. 
and it allows Bill Belichick, Matt Patricia, the defensive coordinator for the New England Patriots, to be able to make the Falcons more predictable, and then they can focus on Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu. So the game plan is somewhat simple for the New England Patriots defense. Stop the run as best you can. Julio Jones is going to get his yards, but just don't allow him to have the big play that breaks your back or breaks your defense's back. So have success on first and second down. Get them into third and long situations, and I think they'll be able to have success versus one of the best offenses we've seen in the NFL in quite some time. On the flip side, for the Atlanta Falcons going up against the New England Patriots, we've seen this story before. If the Falcons can't get pressure on Tom Brady, nothing else matters. They've got three rookies starting on the defensive side of the football with Jones, Campbell, and Keanu Neal. And really, when they go to nickel, Brian Poole comes in. He's another rookie. So I think that plays to the advantage of Tom Brady, who's the greatest quarterback of all time, as well as offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels, to probably put them in those nickel scenarios, to put lesser experienced guys on the field. And even though they've played a lot of football in their rookie season, this is still the Super Bowl. This is still their first year playing and they haven't seen anything like Tom Brady this year as well as he has played so as long as the New England Patriots offensive line doesn't allow Vic Beasley to be a pest in this game I think the New England Patriots are going to be able to have their way with that secondary of the Atlanta Falcons be able to choose their matchups on the inside with a bunch of different man zone indicators by displacing their tight ends or running backs Deion Lewis in particular to the outside that'll determine which matchups they want to utilize and they will be able to pick apart the Atlanta Falcons defense. It's going to be a very similar game plan as what they ran against the Seattle Seahawks in Super Bowl 49 when Dan Quinn was the defensive coordinator. The X factor for me in this game, at least for the New England Patriots, is going to be Malcolm Mitchell. Not Michael Floyd, Malcolm Mitchell. Matt, I know you love Michael Floyd in this matchup because it's warm weather, and we've talked about that before on the show. The the thing is, Michael Floyd grew up in Minnesota. He played football in Notre Dame, so he's played in cold weather before. I I don't know if that's been the issue since he's gotten to New England. I think the issue is just trying to assimilate to an offense that's maybe different than what he's run in the past. I think Malcolm Mitchell, if they're going to take shots, he's the guy to take the top off of a defense. We've seen it a little bit this year. He's the guy that I'm really keying in on. And for the Atlanta Falcons, it's going to be Taylor Gabriel. If he can get yards after a catch, he's going to be the guy that's going to be a tougher matchup, I think, for the New England Patriots because so much attention on passing situations will be given to Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu, even the running backs out of the backfield that Taylor Gabriel is the guy who's going to have the most favorable matchup. A small target, probably the fastest guy on the field. He can really change the dynamics of this game. And if I want to give a slight edge to either team, I think I have to give it to the New England Patriots because of their special teams. We've seen it at times. Maybe it's hurt them with turning over the football. But by and large, they've been a more consistent and better special teams unit all the way around compared to the Atlanta Falcons, who if you go back a couple weeks in the postseason, Devin Hester at the end of his career, even though he's going to be a Hall of Famer as far as a special teams player and a return man, he still was at the end of his career and was really taking advantage of some of the seams that the Atlanta Falcons gave up in their coverage units. So there you have it, Super Bowl 51. It should be a fantastic game. Al from Brady, again, it's, it was interesting for me to hear that he's talking a little bit about run game again. Pats needing to stop the run game, a little less so than Brady Papinga talking about how the Pats need to have theirs and how that might be a major advantage. But it's interesting when you get three football players in the room and a lot of the media narratives throughout the week are going to hammer on passing game. And it's like we almost overlooked this part of the conversation around 
excuse me, a lot of the conversation around Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman have really more been how dangerous they are out of the backfield, how these guys are extra weapons uh, in the passing game. But, man, running game is football, guys. And I, I love that Brady Quinn, even a quarterback, went there and how, how much that aids you in the offensive things you want to do. And it really works that way for both teams. Uh, man, Brady touched on the idea of Atlanta starting three rookies. These guys are going to be great players. There's, you've seen so many positives from them. But the inexperience on that side of the ball, I think, is as important, much like Brady does, as what they were ranked, necess- you know, where they came in and the points allowed and things like that. I understand the Atlanta offense was in a lot different situations than a lot of other teams. They led a lot. So the points number might move up a little bit for them more than other teams. You end up in a different style game. You lead by a bunch. You, you, you adopt something different. Uh, but Atlanta has those three rookies and potentially four, as he mentioned, on the field in certain packages. I think that could be one of the most undersold points of this game. I love that Brady brought that up. In uh, keeping Tom Brady clean, it's obviously what's going to be in a quarterback's mind. Brady hammered that point home. It's something that really I think both teams are going to be talking about, keeping Brady clean, keeping Matt Ryan clean. And I think the, the Patriots may have the best chance of accomplishing that. It seemed to be that's where Brady Quinn was going with his thoughts as well. The special teams advantage for the Pats. I'm going to dive into that a little more deeply on my and my segment here. I think I'm, I'm so happy that Brady went that route. And you know as a former special teams player, I love when that stuff gets brought up. But uh, he loves Malcolm Mitchell. I love Malcolm Mitchell as well. He referenced sort of the comments that I've made on social media about Michael Floyd. I can get into that a little more in my segment, what I really think that's going to boil down to. I think we should all be sitting on pins and needles. Maybe not so much, but to find out the game day inactives. I think Michael Floyd, if he even has a role or active, is going to be a little interesting understory here. But the, the, the Gabriel point was, was well taken. And if you were looking for a guy from that Atlanta offense that could be a game breaker for missed tackles as much as anything. I love that point. When you watch tape on this guy, it's less about the taking the top top off the defense with go routes or things like that. It's his intermediate catch and run where the first safety misses a tackle or the first person near the ball or the corner that was on ball. If that first tackle gets missed, it's like Tyreek Hill kind of stuff. The guy is crazy, crazy good. So I can imagine if you're in that, that defensive meeting room throughout this week with Matt Patricia and Coach Belichick, on the ball tackling with any of these weapons, Mohamed Sanu in that conversation, the tight ends, they bounce ball. You see uh, tacklers bounce off them a fair amount as well, as much as they just run wide open. But those are going to be a huge key into the game. If, if for some reason, Taylor Gabriel's that on-ball tackler misses a few times, this guy could be a game-breaker. So I think that's a huge key in this game. So... As we head now here, I'll try to dive into my particular keys. So I'm going to go and and echo some of the same points, but try to come at them at a different angle. Both of these guys have now selected the Patriots. I'll take sort of the the tension out of this or any kind of uh, anticipation. You're not going to be surprised by the fact that I picked the Patriots, but I'll try to do this. You you presume as much that, hey, former Patriot, he's going to pick the Patriots. I've been trying to do my best to take my bias hat off and think of this more as a gambler. You know, Think of this as Team X versus Team Y. And I think we have a pretty good template here over the last six to eight Super Bowls, where if you were coming in and you had to pick by profile, regardless of the helmet stickers, the group that you wanted to take into game day and to give you the best odds of winning, the gaps between offenses hasn't been the biggest issue. Explosive offenses have come into Super Bowls in the sort of near past, 
and and perform below standard. That's that's actually pretty typical. If you're on par with a 31 or 33 point you know a game kind of thing in the regular season and playoffs, scoring right at that or modestly below is pretty typical. The thing you don't want is to come in with a big question mark with your defense. If you had to pick one of the six units, and I'm thinking offense, defense here, and special teams, if you had to have one thing. Having the top offense, especially in a moment where the other team has a, a top-ish, you know, a two or three offense in the league, the gap there is just not big enough. There's not enough of a chasm there to make enough of a predictable decision. You'd much rather have a giant gap on the other side of the ball. Defenses where there isn't a, a demonstrable difference between the offenses is really the way things have gone in recent history. Now, it doesn't mean that it'll happen for here, but if I had to choose what I was going to take to the game and there was a sizable difference between the quality, at least performance quality, in recent weeks, I'll say even the last quarter of the year, you're going to want to take the defense. And I think that's why this sways this towards the Patriots. Uh, you'll have seen my football by football football videos that I put up this week on the website and on the YouTube page in regards to this things that the Patriots will want uh, to not allow happen, right? The way that you build the game plan is less about we're going to run this coverage and this guy's going to cover this guy and we're going to blitz this many times. That is not good game planning against really, really prolific offenses. You can run cover one, two, three, four, five through the gamut, right? Sevens. And there's, there's tags on all these. Each of these coverage has, has a number of different ways you can run them. The important part is just where help ends up and who gets who. That's what changes the coverages. Uh, the zones are all similar. You know, you're either thinking four, four high, three low, and that's cover four, you know, cover two, you've got five low, two high. It's just sort of where you move around the map. The question isn't which one of these ways you decide to go. It's how you play within them, right? So playing two for an example, soft, where you let Julio Jones run straight through the secondary, where you let Tyler Gabriel get into stack receivers and come out of those stacks completely untouched, where you let Tevin Coleman or you let Devontae Freeman free release out of the backfield, untouched by a defensive end, unchecked by an interior guy if it's a free release inside of the guard position. If you let any of these receivers, and especially when you let all of them, much like the Packers and Seahawks release into the, into the secondary, if you let them free release, the, the Falcons will kill any team. And I just don't believe, watching enough, knowing the philosophy with these Patriots, that they'll allow that to happen. They will go out of their way to route disrupt. They have a long history of doing it against the Colts, against the Rams, against the other teams that have this sort of track mentality in what they do. So I have a feeling that they're going to prevent the big play by making sure that those routes are not where they need to be. Will that stop the Falcons? No, they're just too good, too many weapons. But it'll make it a longer, harder go. And one of the great points that I, I, I recall that one of these two Brady's missed, uh, uh, made, I don't recall which of the one as it was as we're going through this, is the notion of taking away the play-action element. It's something that the Falcons have been so good at and uh, you know having an and-or element. When you look at a lot of the big plays they've had, it's because of overcommits to the run or or undercommits, you know, where they're on top of everything and they let catch and run plays happen. I think it is so instrumental, and I think it's one of the of the real advantages the Patriots have in regular get big, uh, prevent the run, the, the traditional run plays and zone zone runs and things like that that the that the Falcons love to do. I think that's a major mismatch here with the Allen Branches and Malcolm Browns and Vincent Valentines really winning that inside area, especially with Alex Mack at the center position banged up with that leg injury and able to you know glue and tape this thing together uh, but not at full strength 
I really look at uh, the ability for the Patriots' defense to control traditional runs and take sensible, or at least realistic, play action off the table uh, as one of the biggest keys to this game. Uh, if that's off and you're in a definitively pass-only kind of situation with the Falcons, well, that changes things. Then they're not nearly as prolific. If as a defense you're not guessing pre-snap and or, and you have to play them straight, they're really good. But I think the Patriots are uniquely built, especially relative to the last two teams you've watched. Better than Seattle, better than Green Bay, and in, in basic run defense. It, demonstrably so. I mean, there's, 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 there's space, there's ways to look at the tape and say they're just better in these particular metrics in that particular size room. Uh, if that's off the table... I think it really simplifies things with this Falcons offense. I think they're good. I think no one's going to prevent them from scoring outright. But I think getting to their averages is going to be very difficult, and I don't expect it to happen. Uh, I would look at the Patriots' offense as similarly, uniquely, uh, basically, uh, I don't know, made or whatever, or put together to cause a lot of the same problems that 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 New England uh, or excuse me that Atlanta causes other defenses the difference here being the Patriots offense isn't going to see that disruptive style defense from the Falcons the Falcons are more in that off ball be disruptive by route reading and being quicker and faster lighter smaller I think they're really going to have a difficult time taking away traditional runs like I talked about with the Patriots offense I think the Patriots offense or excuse me Patriots defense can take away the traditional run game I think the Patriots offense can maintain a traditional run pass balance I think they can maintain the legitimate play action element that the Seahawks excuse me the Falcons the other bird are going to have a difficult time keeping a part of this game throughout so that's really the biggest factor for me the idea of play action staying alive and well and much more of a legitimate threat i think for the patriots because they're uniquely built to go into run packages with blunt and get big to go into small stuff with james white and spread them out and make plays there to go into the Dion lewis packages and have no idea if it's run pass i think they can control the line of scrimmage this patriots offensive line is one of the biggest difference from this team a year ago. This Patriots team a year ago was a flicker, a final two-point conversion uh, away from beating the Broncos and being in the Super Bowl team. And this Patriots team is leaps and bounds better than that group. They're just There's more insurance across the roster. They're able to do so many more things. So I am, uh, maybe there's a bias there. I'm putting a lot of stock in how, how markedly different I see them this year than a year ago. I would have many more concerns with that group because they were more limited in what they can do. This group seems to be able to, to sort of rally the troops in the event that there's a bad series, both defensively or offensively, and come back with something entirely different. They're just not as limited. So I look for the Patriots with the ability to have potentially a big game on the ground, uh, shorten the game, keep Matt Ryan off the field. They're built to do that better than either the Seahawks or Packers were, and I think that's probably a lot of the game plan you'll see. So winning line of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively for the Patriots, keeping play action alive, I think that will be your deciding factor. I'm very much on the same sort of wavelength that Brady Papenga that this should be an extremely competitive game. I know the line at the time I was recording this is right around three. It's basically stayed flat there throughout. I think everyone uh, is sort of anticipating a game like that, whether it's high scoring or not, but a close game. And I think that's 
absolutely fair, especially with the Patriots' history, uh, the three games that we won, uh, all within three to four points. So really close games that we played in. There is no history of Patriots blowing out and winning Super Bowls. I uh, win by four against the Seahawks two years ago, uh, a handful of victories by three or four uh, in the other games. So I don't think by a matter of history or even looking at these teams across from one another, you should expect the blowout. I still do think, though, that up to seven points, you would probably be safely on a six to seven out of ten times getting a Patriots cover and victory. So if you're looking at this from a gambling angle, I think that three is a very safe number for the Patriots. It's as confident a number as I think we've had going into a Patriots Super Bowl. Falcons are damn good, but they the Patriots tend to live for these kind of situations. And I think the experience factor, the playmaking ability, and the critical moments is in their favor. So uh, one final thing I did want to touch upon that at least will be sort of a thing to watch for in this game. And the Brady's did touch on this idea of special teams coming into play. And I would be remiss to completely ignore that point. I will not. I think uh, the real major difference between these two teams is the Patriots have shown in this last month the ability to have some game-breaking plays there. uh, And the Falcons' return games have been far more modest. Uh, You look at what was alluded to earlier about Devin Hester really breaking through and having some huge plays against Falcons. A lot of them were brought back, though, by penalties. I think there's some vulnerability there that has completely flied under the radar throughout this week, and especially with the Patriots getting on the board a couple weeks ago against the Houston Texans with a big Deion Lewis uh, kick return for a touchdown. There should be some significant field-flipping possibilities there for the Patriots, where I think they're they're significantly better in a couple of those areas, both in punt return game and kick return game. We'll be watching closely to find out who the Patriots come out with as their punt returner. They go ahead and put Julian Edelman, who when he's doing that in a full-time role, can be one of the best punt returners in football, or with the Deion Lewis packages in the kick return game. We haven't seen a lot of big play stuff out of the Patriots historically in that area, and the Falcons dudes, they are fast, but they're light and small. So don't be surprised as if you're watching this game that there's a few really great negative plays by the Falcons where they get down, they pin the Patriots on their own 20 or even potentially inside that, but it's the the one or two game-breaking plays that I think would swing in the Patriots' factor, uh, in favor, excuse me. There's more higher likelihood, in my view, uh, of one of those two breaking for them. We just haven't seen that much from the Falcons' return game. So if you're looking for field position wins, uh, field flipping plays by Ryan Allen and the punting group there, uh, this is a, a significant advantage that hasn't been talked about much this week. I think the Patriots have a giant check mark in that area. And when you're trying to make the Falcons go the long, hard way versus trying to make the Patriots go the long, hard way, I think this sits uh, decidedly in the Patriots' favor. That may sound make me sound like a Patriots homer. I tried to do my research this week with my just Team X versus Team Y hat on, um, and you know, you'll I'll probably get marked a homer for this one. But uh, I think you all, regardless of who it is you're cheering for out there, regardless of what you're watching, I hope some of the things that we've highlighted for you throughout the year come to fruition in this game. So you can see that some of the back end analysis really sort of flowers in the game so you can see uh, what all this research uh, is for and how it sort of comes to play out on that football field so get your eye your, your football by football goggles on for this week look for some of these little game within the game stuff see how it plays out and as we mentioned I think none of the three of us will be surprised if the Falcons do win this game just more on a probability basis we seem to be leaving New England Enjoy the game, first and foremost. I think we're about to see a very competitive Super Bowl. We all love that, regardless of who wins this game. Enjoy it. 
again, live here from Houston, or taped live. Is that is that real? Is that a thing? <laughs> I'm Matt Chatham. Chatham. Oh, I didn't know my name. I'm Matt Chatham. That was Brady Papenga and Brady Quinn. Thank you so much for listening in throughout the year. That's the In the Game podcast. Enjoy the Super Bowl, folks. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.